Well, today we return to the Gospel of Mark to complete the series over the next five weeks or so that we started 23 months ago on the 7th of April 2019. The overarching theme for the series is faith that serves. Faith that serves. And the key verse is taken from Mark 10:45, and it reads, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I want to say that the events around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the events that took place the week before Jesus was crucified, are the most important and most significant events in all of history. Greater than the election of any president. Uh, more significant than this pandemic that we're going through. More significant than the rise or fall of any kingdom. These events that we will be looking at and examining through the eyes of the written word, the scripture over the, the next few weeks are the most significant events that have ever happened in history because they have impact on every single human being and indeed the whole entire universe that God has created. So we, at a timely pace, will go through and examine these scriptures and may they uh, bring fresh revelation as well as remind us to us of uh, the life, ministry, sacrifice and salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as we enter back into the Gospel of Mark, we pray your blessing on these remaining uh, messages, Lord, that will be brought from the ministry team here at Harvest Temple. And as a result, may our hearts be drawn closer to you and may our lives reflect the light of your love and grace in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I will be uh, walking through Mark 14 verses 43 through to 65 which has already been read for us. And just to step back a bit before I come to verse 43. Mark 14 records the plot to kill Jesus. And the passage that I will be looking at today I have picked a theme for that, which is Jesus before a kangaroo court. Jesus is brought before an unofficial court with illegal practices and is condemned to death. So in, in way of just a quick recap, in this chapter, Mark 14, Mark does what he frequently does throughout his gospel and brings together certain events and themes which occurred at various times 
during this week, deliberately placing them side by side so that we can see a contrast. So Mark doesn't necessarily put the events in chronological order, but he puts them in order so to contrast, we will see love against hate in particular. So in verse 1 and 2, you have Mark's account of the hatred of the priests toward Jesus, which is followed by the story of the love toward him from Mary of Bethany. And then in verses 10 and 11, you come to the story of Judas, his mounting hatred and enmity against Jesus. And this is followed by the story of Jesus' love for his disciples, which he exhibits at the last Passover they share together. And in the midst of all this, we see that Jesus discloses that he would be betrayed and Jesus is sitting right there at the table. Then the, the, the chapter goes on and Jesus predicts that Peter would deny him. This is followed by Jesus' prayer in the garden, verses 32 through to 36. And here we see the terrible smiting that Zechariah the prophet had predicted hundreds of years before, written in our Bibles in Zechariah 13, verse 7. And it says, Jehovah called for a sword. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. I will strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. The scripture is saying that God himself would strike his own shepherd and that the sheep, who in this case are the disciples, would be scattered. Up to this point, it seems that Jesus is clear that he will, would be crucified and was willing to go to the cross. But at this point in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the first sign of the deep struggle and distress that Jesus was suffering because of what was ahead of him. And the disciples also sense this. And Jesus doesn't try to hide this from them. He says to them, my soul is deeply sorrowful within me, even to the point of death. And in Luke's account of uh, these events, he writes that at this point an angel came and appeared to the Lord Jesus Christ and strengthened him. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And that is the meaning of Jesus being smitten in the garden of Gethsemane. Again, Hebrews tells us, For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Hebrews 4.15 And then the scripture goes on this passage to share that Peter acting in the flesh pledges to die with Jesus. And then not long after that, that same Peter was acting bold 
and confidence could not stay awake for one hour to pray with Jesus. What we learn from this is that prayer provides strength. Say that with me. Prayer provides strength. And this is what we see Jesus doing. He prayed when he felt weak in his flesh. And though his sweat became drops of blood, he stood firm and did the will of the Father. And you know, it's the same trick that the enemy is using today. Falling asleep, being distracted from prayer. Prayer provides strength. Let's remember that. So going now to verse 43 of Mark 14, it reads, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. There are three actions emphasized in the portion that I've just read, and I want to go through them. The first one is the kiss of Judas. Mark uses the normal word for kiss here, which means to love in telling about the arrangement that Judas had made with the chief priests. He said, the person that, I, that you see me kiss. And it seems apparent that Jesus and his disciples, you know, Jesus didn't stand out from them. You know, um, they, apparently it seems that they look similar. They probably dress similar. And to save any uh, mistaken identity or confusion, Jesus said, I will identify Jesus with a kiss of love. But in the actual moment when Jesus carries out this kiss, Mark uses an emphasized form of the word, which actually means a prolonged kiss. Not just a normal kiss of greeting, but a prolonged loving act. But the intent of Judas was cold and deceitful you know sometimes in life things which look loving are sometimes dressed up in that way but they can be cold and deceitful so that's the first emphasis I want to bring from that part of the scripture 
a kiss that betrayed the master. The second emphasis is Peter's blundering defense. Peter is trying to resolve this situation and again he's acting in the flesh. He grabs a sword and attempts to defend the arrest of Jesus, defend Jesus. And really he's aiming to kill this servant, but his aim is poor and he ends up cutting off the servant's ear. This illustrates to us when we act in the flesh, the things that we think we can achieve are disastrous. And, you know, even on the, the pressure that Jesus was under, Jesus still had uh, the time and the thought to pick up the ear that was chopped off by Peter of Malchus and to heal his ear. And in doing that, saved Peter from being arrested. And the third action emphasized here is the sudden flight of the disciples. The scripture says that they all forsook him. In one moment, they forsook him. After following Jesus for three and a half years and witnessing all the miracles and healings he had done, listening to him teach and preach and go about doing good. In one moment, when Jesus is arrested and they perhaps thought he would do something miraculous to escape this arrest, but Jesus submits to it because he knows it's the will of the Father and he knows that it's in order to fulfill Scripture. So the disciples lose heart and perhaps in that moment in their minds and hearts they're thinking well Jesus can't possibly be the Messiah, the saviour of the world. So they flee and thus the smiting of the shepherd resulted in the scattering of the sheep just as Zechariah had prophesied. And then Mark adds a little postscript in verse 51 that we don't want to miss. And it reads, Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. I think all scholars agree that Mark here is writing about himself. And it's Mark's way of saying, I was there. Another point which I think I mentioned in the previous message is is that some scholars believe that Mark was actually the rich young ruler that came to Jesus by night. And Jesus said to him, sell all that you have and follow me. And he left from the presence of Jesus with a sad heart. And if that is so, perhaps Mark in uh, mentioning himself in verse 51, he's saying, I did sell all, and I did follow Jesus. And I was there to witness these happenings around the Garden of Gethsemane and his arrest. Because how else would this have been recorded? Because some of uh, these important um, occurrences, um, the disciples weren't there, they had fled. But Mark was there 
as an eyewitness to see and to record for our benefit today. After Jesus was captured in Gethsemane in the garden, he was led away by the soldiers to the high priest. And Mark, in his gospel, doesn't record for us the appearance of Jesus before Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. But he moves directly to the courtyard of Caiaphas, the current high priest. And in verses 53 to 54 it reads, And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Notice the very careful way that Mark sets this scene for us. And you'll see here, to me it's like uh, Mark creates a split screen. Where one side of the screen is showing what's happening to Jesus. And the other side of the screen is showing what's happening with Peter. So the scripture informs us that Jesus is in the inner room with the Sanhedrin. This assembly, the Sanhedrin, consisted of the high priest, Caiaphas, all the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. A total of 70 members made up the, the Sanhedrin, plus their helpers and advisors, etc. So it was a considerable crowd that was gathered in the inner room in the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. There was Jesus in the midst of the Sanhedrin, while just outside in the outer courtyard, where he could look and see all that was happening, Peter sat with the guards around the fire on a chilly night in Jerusalem. And Mark is careful to point out that these situations occurred side by side as if we're looking at a split screen. The trial before the priest proceeds in two stages. First, there is a testimony of the witnesses in verse 55 through to 58. And it reads, Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witnesses against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. So we see from this segment of the scripture that this trial is clearly a farce. The outcome was determined long before the trial had even convened. It was not a case of 
Jesus being innocent until proven guilty. Because Mark records for us that the chief priests sought for testimony because they were determined to put Jesus to death. So this trial was illegal from the very beginning. Jesus was before a kangaroo court. First, it was held at night and the Jewish law insisted that all trials of criminals before the priests should be held in the daytime. Secondly, it was held in the wrong place. The Sanhedrin was only to meet in the hall set aside for this purpose. And only those meetings held in that hall were valid. But Jesus was in the residence of the high priest. And thirdly, this was an illegal trial because the Sanhedrin had prohibited the law from reaching a verdict on the same day that a trial was held. And here the verdict is passed immediately at the end of this farcical trial. They had arranged for the best witnesses that money could buy to give testimony against Jesus. And yet everything was falling apart and the priests were getting uneasy and restless because the testimony of these witnesses did not even agree. But finally two men stood up and in Matthew's account of this it tells us it was two men. And their testimonies partially agreed. For they said we heard him say I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. In other words they're accusing Jesus of being a terrorist. Now what they said was the closest to any of what the witnesses had said in terms of agreeing. But it was inaccurate because Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John mentions that the temple that was built with brick and stone is not the temple he was referring to. He was referring to the temple of his body being destroyed. In other words, he was referring to his death burial and resurrection so he would die and after three days he would be raised back up and in fact the witnesses inserted words that Jesus didn't say because he didn't say he would destroy the temple made with hands he didn't say made with hands he said that he would destroy this temple his body he would be buried he would would be crucified buried and raised from the dead in three days So it was inaccurate what the witnesses were saying. However, they felt there was enough truth to make something stick on Jesus. Even though they could not agree in their detail. The priests at this point were frustrated because they were looking for evidence. They couldn't find any legal ground on which to kill and murder Jesus. And it's at this point that Caiaphas the high priest saved the occasion from the Sanhedrin's point of view by doing something entirely illegal. 
he attempted to put Jesus on the spot and force him to incriminate himself. And we have the account of this in verses 60 through to 61. And it reads, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing, fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth, Isaiah 53, 7. Evidently our Lord understood that the testimony against him was so fragmentary, so weak, that it required no answer. He made no effort to defend himself or to answer the lies of the witnesses, but remained silent. The high priest was stunned by the silence of Jesus. And so he did something else absolutely illegal. He put Jesus on the solemn oath to testify against himself. And in verse 61 it says, Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. In Matthew's account of this, Matthew said that the high priest put Jesus under a solemn oath. He said to him, I put you on the oath by the living God. And that's in Matthew 26, 63. This was a very solemn oath. And in response to this, Jesus breaks the silence and answers the high priest's question. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now what the priest was really asking is, are you the one that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, predicted and prophesied would come as the Messiah, the promised one? Are you the son of God? This is a very clear cut question directly placed from the high priest to Jesus who is under a solemn oath. And Jesus responds very simply by saying, I am, I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. I am the Christ. You can find that in Matthew twenty six sixty four. You know, there are many critics of the, the New Testament and of our Christian faith that say, well, Jesus never ever said he was the son of God. He never professed 
in the scripture, there's no way in the scripture where he says, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. Well, here's one passage in Matthew 26, 63 and 64 that is so clear that on the solemn oath, when Jesus is questioned, are you the blessed one? Are you the Messiah? Jesus breaks his silence and he says, I am. The rest of the reply that Jesus gives is directed to the high priest personally. For he says to him, and you, you Caiaphas, will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And in saying this, Caiaphas is seeing his own end and his own destiny. And then a really strange thing happens following this. Mark tells us that upon passing the verdict of the sentence of death, it seems as if the forces of restraint that had been upon the priests and the scribes and elders seems to lift and they again committed holy illegal acts. The scripture tells us that they began to vent their hatred upon Jesus and pour out venomous abuse. All pent up jealousy and hatred was gathered against the Christ. They began to spit on him. And we know that this is the ultimate form of insult. They spat on him. They beat him. They covered his face with a garment. And while his face was hidden, they would hit him and say, prophesy. In other words, who, who just hit you? They mocked him. They scorned him. They insulted him. And we know that in the scriptures, 750 years before this, Isaiah had spoken these words. I gave my back to the smiter and my cheeks to those who plucked out the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 50 verse 6. While all this is going on, Jesus is being physically abused. Outside, Peter is watching. And Peter never forgets this. For in his first letter, in his writing in the New Testament, this is what he writes. When he, speaking of Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.23 What an example Jesus sets here for us. How to respond when we are falsely accused. Instead of retorting and trying to justify ourselves, Peter says that we ought to return good for evil. Revile not in return, but commit ourselves to him, to God, who is able to judge things justly. Allow God to take vengeance, as he says, vengeance is mine. In a real sense, as we look at this passage, it wasn't Jesus who was on trial. I think it was more accurate to say that the religious leaders were on trial. 
their appearance was as whitewashed sepulchres. But through this illegal trial, Jesus reveals that their hearts were full of dead men's bones. Hatred towards Jesus. There was no love there at all. And you know, in the same sense, all of us are on trial with Jesus. And as we look at this passage and as we read God's word, his word brings light to our hearts. And the question it poses to us is what are you going to do with this Christ, with the Messiah, with the Son of God? Let us pray. God our Father, we thank you for your word that shines light on our hearts, reveals the very intents of our hearts which cannot be hidden from you because the night is as day before you. As we reflect on these significant and important matters, may we, Lord, in our hearts, be honest and truthful. And Jesus, may you take your rightful place in our hearts as believers. Do your work in our hearts as our hearts are exposed before you. And for those who are outside of a personal relationship with you, Today, Lord, may they be brought into that place of fellowship and union through Jesus Christ and experience the full forgiveness of their sins. This I ask in and through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.